Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie. Welcome, all of you, for tuning in to our March show. I'm taking a deep breath, and I'm reflecting on how a month has made a huge difference. Last month when we did our February show, I always think of February as Valentine's Day, and we had a lovely show back in February about love and relationships. And I had planned in the month of March I was going to talk about resilience. But history took over, and what took over was the pandemic we're in right now. Who would have thought this, right? Who would have thought we'd be in the middle of this on March 19th here in this country and in this world? And I look back and I reflect in my own lifetime of 65 years, where have I ever seen anything like this? Never, really. When I look back at history of our world, last pandemic was in 1918, the Spanish-American flu, where a third of the world's population was, was infected within months. I tell people and, I, and my family tells me that my great-grandfather, my great-aunt and uncle died in that pandemic of 1918. But I know that medicine wasn't the capability we are now and we didn't have antibiotics or antivirals as we do now. But look at where we are now and, and I'm sure every listener here knows what's going on. You just turn on the TV, you go online, you look at the networks about, about COVID-19 that's out there. And it really drew my attention. About three or four weeks ago, I was giving a keynote for the academic decathlon high school group. And it must have been before everybody sequestered, definitely so. And it was right before their award ceremony. And I got up and I showed slides of COVID-19 because the theme for those high school kids was how science and medicine and health impact our lives. And I put a picture up, the, the electron microscope film, picture of the COVID-19 coronavirus. And I said, take a look at this. This will impact us significantly. This is how science impacts our everyday life. Everything from whether the markets succeed or fail, to whether you're going to social distance, to whether you're going to have a job, to everything. So health is huge. And what's important to realize is we have to look at facts. And this is a time of fear and anxiety and panic. I still see patients in clinic. I can't really say see them because I've, I'm seeing them on my screen because we're going remote with my patients. But I still manage patients from afar. And most of the communications I have with my patients, there's underlying anxiety about what happens next. It's of the unknown. Number one, am I going to get this? Are my loved ones going to get this? Are we ever going to contain this? Is there a cure? Is there a vaccine? There's a lot of unknowns out there. So all I know is this, that you have to take a deep breath, hit the pause button before you hit the panic button, folks, because it's going to be a rough ride. Be prepared for that. If there's anything that you can count on in this life, there are times that are difficult. That's the way life is. And if you think that's not true, well, you know, you ought to undo the snooze button because wake up and realize life is hard, right? Life is hard, and you're seeing it up front right now. So this show is all about the pandemic and how it's impacting our lives. And how do you conquer fear? You conquer fear with facts. You conquer fear with faith. You conquer fear with being level-headed. 
And I always look at the buttons that trigger people's emotions. There's the panic button that people are easily reaching for where they constantly reacting and freaking out. And I call it meltdown. And one of the books I'm going to write is called No Time for a Meltdown. I don't have time for a meltdown. I'm too busy doing the things that require that. So instead, you hit a pause button very briefly, take a deep breath, gather yourself, and then say, as you think about this, what is my response? What is my, what's the responsible thing to do for myself, for the people around me? And then you move forward with a plan. You got to have the plan and where you go there. So I'm going to move forward as part of my plan with our special guest in studio today. And I had the pleasure of meeting this guest through a women's group in business a couple months ago. And I always believe there's a reason you meet people. And I met this person through that group. And I thought, oh, I'll try to find a reason to introduce her one day. And I, she was going to be on one of my shows a couple months down. And we were going to think, well, let's try to find the right time. And I called her up and said, listen, you must be on this show today. And she agreed. And I'm going to introduce my guest in studio. <clears throat> her name is Buffy Lloyd Krejci. And I love her name, Buffy, and I know she wasn't named after Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I, I keep wanting to, to, to rename Buffy the Bug Slayer because that's really what she does. And I'm going to read you her bio, which is on the website. She's always had a passion for mitigating infectious diseases through a data-driven approach. So there it is, data-driven approach, facts over fear. Utilizing her degrees in applied mathematics and biomedical informatics, Buffy participated in a national CDC and CMS pilot studies supporting long-term care facilities, enroll and report clostridioides difficile infection into the CDC's National Healthcare Safety Network, the nation's most widely used healthcare-associated infection tracking system. She realized how infections impact this vulnerable patient population with national estimates of one to three million infections with C. difficile, leading to 380,000 deaths per year. So she got her career from there. That's, that's what she does. She has her own company. It's Lloyd Krejci Consulting, now called IPCWell, W-E-L-L. -L. She has over 20-plus years of expertise in successfully developing and implementing healthcare and public health programs. She's CIC board certified in infection prevention and control. She is the 2019 Arizona chapter APIC president. She's going to get her, her PhD next month, so she will be Dr. Lloyd Krejci. Congratulations next month from the University of Arizona School of Public Health. Uh, she has a master's in biomedical informatics, and she has a bachelor's in applied mathematics, so definitely a woman of, silent, of science. Buffy, well, Dr. Buffy, welcome <laughs> to our show. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. You were telling me right before we started that this is a sad time, but it's also exciting time for you as a scientist. Can you share us why that's the case? Sure. So I may be the only one geeking out over this situation in, in a very respectful manner. But, you know, this is this is what my training over the last 14 years in school has really brought me to. And it's not it's not theory anymore. It's reality. And so it's really implementing everything that I've learned into real life real life action right now. So from this, from have you started, have you observed the epidemic since the start in Wuhan and Hubei County? I mean, did you track that? Or have you been keeping an eye on that since I, the start? Yeah, I started listening to the WHO news media briefs. They were occurring every day. 
And I, I was really paying attention to the numbers. And to be honest, I really, like many people, was like, well, that's kind of happening over there. And, and you know, we're going to be okay. And But then really knowing how viruses transfer, it's they don't care what country you live in. They jump on an airplane with you. And so knowing that the international travel would have a huge impact and that and that it was serious simply too because it's a coronavirus and it's and it's different than your typical influenza because it's zoonotic meaning it came from animals. animals. And can you explain why they call it coronavirus for those people who are haven't seen the picture of it? Yeah, it's very <laughs> it is very different so and it, it causes the acute respiratory infections and and just the the shape of it it's very different and as it started to spread at what point did you think oh we've got a we've got a problem here at houston there's something going or actually should be atlanta right the cdc's there well i was it was interesting because i was really continuing to bring people's attention to our influenza season because this year has been significantly worse than last year so i kept continuing to bring people back to influenza and what we were doing. And a colleague of mine kept saying, Buffy, this this is different. We need to really pay attention to it. And so, you know, I, I looked at that, too, and realized there is something serious about this uh, as far as the way that it's spreading, as well as the mortality of it. So that's what was very different than a typical influenza virus is the mortality was significantly higher. When this first came out, I am and I'm practicing medicine at the time this first came out and patients were, were asking about it. At first I said, well, it sounds like a bad cold. More people die of the flu. That's what were the talking points we were using. It's a bad cold. More people die of the flu. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. But as time went on, it became more serious. It caught our attention. Definitely more because we live in a 24-7 news network. You can't escape it. It's constantly being bombarded with the data and the numbers that are, that are doing there. You know, one of the things you mentioned about it truly being a small world, I, I was at Disneyland right before they closed. I was there with my son and his wife and my three little grandkids who, as we know, you know, culture media, uh, where, do you, where do you get a lot of viruses and germs? They're little kids, right? In Disneyland, even though they were great about clean, uh, keeping everything clean, but one of the first rides I went on with my grandkids, who are ages almost five, almost three, and 15 months, is it's a small world. <laughs> and, and I thought as I was going through those rides with my grandkids, it truly is a small world. One person sneezes in Wuhan, and that spreads. And then you get on a plane, and somebody touches somebody else, and here we are. We have a pandemic. What is it about this virus that it is so contagious? I think that part of it is the it's it's very contagious, similar to influenza. The, the challenge, again, is that it, the mortality is higher. So that's what's really drawn the attention to it. So coronaviruses, we actually have coronaviruses in our population. So it, it, there is a common cold that's a coronavirus, but the, it doesn't create the, the mortality that this is causing. So it's not that it's any more contagious as, say, influenza, because as you you know, already our influenza season, we have, we have, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, who've already been infected with influenza. It's just the severity of it and the actual disease that it's causing. You, could you want to let the audience know a lot of the early symptoms for people that they're seeing? Yeah. So um, the low-grade fever is one of the, the primary as well as the cough. So those are, those are two distinguishing symptoms. However, not everybody will have a fever. 
And other symptoms may be, you know, similar to what you would experience with the flu, having that the malaise or the fatigue and just not feeling well. There, there have been cases where people have the GI upset, such as diarrhea, so that can occur as well. And it's also important, so I specialize a lot with the elderly in long-term care, and these particular people may even have different symptoms. So they may be, they may not have the traditional symptoms that we're talking about. They may be confused. They may just be complaining about just not feeling good. So it's important to pay attention to all of those different symptoms. But it truly may be like similar to what you would experience with the flu. It's a tough thing with fever because as we define right. fever, it's a temperature of over 100.4. You know, I, I take care of a lot of elderly and they're on, if they, they're debilitated, some of them don't have, can't mount a high enough fever. You know, some you may not even, as you they say, they have, have men, one. Right, may not mm-hmm. have a fever, just continue to decline, have mental status changes, be confused, mm-hmm. be more fatigued or just sleep more. And then, you know, they are very, very sick. Um, that's one of the things. The cough is de- de- defined or is described as a dry, hacky cough, right? Not productive, not right. thick. Right. So it's dry, and there's not uh, necessarily like a runny nose associated with it either. So if you have a runny nose, you could potentially have a different strain or a different virus, such as the common cold. Right. And then that's true. And then muscle aches, plus or minus, whether they have muscle mm-hmm. aches for that. So I think, you know, we're starting to see, because you had mentioned, we talked about screening, you know, here in the, in everywhere. Actually, they talked about how do you screen people. If, let's say, somebody says, I think I might have it. I, I wasn't, let's say somebody was in Seattle. They, they visited a family member. They came back, and they're starting to have a low-grade fever. And we're here in the state of Arizona. What do you recommend they do? Well, I first want to say about the testing that, you know, if you have mild symptoms, and, and most people do have mild symptoms, so that, that's actually the truth. And so if you do have the mild symptoms, you know, you can contact your healthcare provider, but there may not be a need to test. There's no treatment, and so it's really comfort care measures. So there's no really need to run out and get a test. And the other, and the reason for that as well is you may not meet the criteria for testing. And there's there's a lot of stories of people who across the country who are waiting in long lines, two, three hours for these some of these drive-through testing, and then they're turned away. And so, you know, there's certain criteria such as if you have a fever, if you have low, lower respiratory um, symptoms, if you and then and then you have to have the epidemiological risk factors as well, such as have you been in contact with somebody who's tested positive? It gets a little tricky because if you're if there's not a lot of testing going on, you don't necessarily know who's positive right, or not. Right. So the the CDC on a call I was on Tuesday made the statement to assume you've been exposed. Right. And if we behave in a way that we assume we've been exposed, then that may change some behaviors. So if you thought you'd been exposed, you self-quarantine, self right? Self-quarantine or even just the social distancing measures as much as possible. Which so is six feet away? Six feet away and, and also, um, you know, just avoiding being around other people as much as possible. Large groups and Large things like groups. that. So we're going to take a little pause here, and we'll come back to talk to uh, Dr. Buffy, the bug, the bug slayer, who's going to help us how we each can do our share in avoiding spreading and contracting this, this virus. So st- stand by on Dr. Connie's House Calls. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the president of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families. Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano, this is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. We're in studio today with uh, soon-to-be Dr. Buffy Lloyd Krejci, who is an infectious disease control expert. She, she works on dis, uh, the control or prevention of spread of infectious diseases. That's her bread and butter work. And we're talking about our, our pandemic and, and how there are certain criteria people are using for testing. And I've gotten lots of requests from patients. I don't feel good. I might have a fever. Well, do you have a thermometer? No, I don't. Well, do you have a, you know, can you get one? Well, they're all sold out. Okay, so that's one thing. But you have to have a fever is what they want, but not everybody can spike a fever. And you can still have this disease if you still, you know, don't, don't mount a fever. But we talk about the criteria, but you could be negative today on your test and yet still have it a couple of days later. So part of it is I tell people we have to look at patients clinically. You know, if you think you've got a low-grade fever, you've got a cough, 
we will check pulse oximetry and oxygen meter therapy on those patients to see what their oxygen saturation is, and we'll get a chest X-ray to see what's going on, and we mo- watch them. I avoid sending people to the ER unless they absolutely have to be there because we want to minimize any contact w- with other people as much as possible. Part of this is containment so we don't spread the virus uh, to people who uh, seemingly don't know they, they, they might have it. Um, did you want to share the numbers a little bit today, Buffy? The, because you'll see it on TV, but what we have l- recently from this morning, the worldwide numbers of, of this epidemic, of this pandemic. Yeah, sure. So these numbers change minute by minute, as we know. Okay. So in the U.S., we have approximately 7,800 cases today. Uh, worldwide, about 215,000. U.S. De- U.S. deaths, we have 118, and worldwide, around 8,700. And what I really want to emphasize, too, is in the U.S., we have 106 that have recovered, and, and we will see that number increase because our illnesses are more, they're more recent. But worldwide, we have 83,000 recoveries. So We talk about and we hear about the deaths every day, but I don't think the media is doing a good enough job describing that there are people recovering from this this infection. You, know, you look at the celebrities, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, and they, they're out of quarantine, and they, they, they were COVID positive. They recovered. Right. But most people will most recover. Most people recover. Who's at risk? So our elderly at risk, and I have some information about that. So the elderly and those that are immunocompromised, so if you have underlying health conditions, within the, the for the elderly, the 80 years Eighty years old and older, they're at about a twenty percent mortality. So clearly, they're at the highest risk. About one in twelve that are over eighty will actually die from this infection. So that's pretty significant. But when you look at flu, how many die? Right. Yeah, you know, it's still a high number. Well, we do. So yeah. the flu. I mean, just this year yeah. alone in the U.S., we've already had twenty-two thousand deaths. Right. So it is significant, and definitely something I personally feel we don't talk about enough. That for cardiovascular disease, we have a mortality rate of 13%, um, diabetes 9%, chronic respiratory disease 8%, and cancer 7.5% mortality. So we clearly see that the immunocompromised and the elderly are at higher risk for, um, for developing severe infection. So that doesn't necessarily mean that they're, you know, it's not any more contagious to anybody else, but they're at higher risk for developing severe infection. And, you know, the, the biggest fear, you know, what do these people die from is uh, adult respiratory distress syndrome, is right. le- the lung failure. The right. lungs start leaking out their fluid. They can't oxygenate properly and overwhelming sepsis from the virus, right? Is that what we're seeing as the main cause of death is pulmonary? Yes. It's in the lungs. Definitely pulmonary pneumonia. And even so most people have mild to moderate um, disease. And within moderate, it even constitutes mild pneumonia is even classified in the moderate disease. However, again, most will, the ones that are, are more severe, then it's leading to the, the advanced pneumonia, the ARDS and sepsis and then death. Are these seeing a lot of household transmission of the disease and people who self, uh, who sequester themselves, who are, who are COVID positive? Or I, don't, I don't know if we have that specific information. And yeah. that's the interesting thing with this is, is 
the scientists are mad at work right now, gathering and the epidemiologists and and the tracing and the contact tracing and trying to identify where it's coming from. And unfortunately, when you get to a pandemic level, that becomes more and more difficult. And that's part of the reason why I feel the WHO held off so long in actually classifying it as a pandemic, because they don't want to kind of wave this flag saying we surrender, Mm -hmm. there's nothing we can do. um, Because oftentimes in a pandemic, then the contact tracing goes away, even sometimes laboratory testing goes away, because there's the fear that it's just overrun and everybody's going to get it. Right. Now, right now, we see the highest numbers in Italy, right? They're yeah. starting to peak more than China. More Italy, deaths. yeah. And, and a lot of that could be due to their high elderly population. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of information that we see on the news. And I think we can learn from Italy, honestly. And I think if we respect what we're seeing and, and, and take real serious, you know, the, the self-isolation and, and – you know, social distancing, I think that's the key to really learn from what other countries have already experienced. So now we are enforcing right now 15 days of pretty much, you know, everybody stay home, businesses shut down. Will that be enough to, as they say, flatten the viral curve and we can see the slowdown? Why did they pick that number, 15 days? Well, so 15 days is the, um, the, the time in which, you know, the virus would, would spread so symptomatically or the incubation period, mind you. So I personally don't know if it's enough time, uh, 15 days um, to, to flatten the curve, but we definitely have to try. And I don't, and given the fact that the, the social distancing isolation isn't mandated across everywhere the same some cities some states are more strict than others and so i mean you know just driving to the studio there's lots of people out on the road still and you know so um i don't know if it's going to be enough yeah, to that's flatten that tough. curve yeah i just got to each do our share of of what it takes to do that i think that's the tough part and then for travel you know, which people are actually they've cut down on travel a lot as much as possible. That that's the important thing too. Is there any preventative measures other than self isolating, is, is social distancing? Are you hearing any researchers say that there's certain supplements? Any, uh, you know, there isn't anything out there yet. I mean, I know there's mention because of an article in Italy about hydroxyquinolone, which is Plaquenil. Uh, the old anti-malarial medicine that's used to treat COVID-19 with symptoms. And then there's rendesivir, Mm -hmm. which is an HIV. Right now, those are, they're looking at those in addition to the vaccine, but vaccine won't be here for another year, a couple years. But hydroxychloroquine, there's hope for that if you have symptoms. Because I'm getting calls from patients saying, well, can I just go ahead and get a prescription for that? I said, you don't have the disease, you don't prove it. You know, we don't want you stockpiling it. Hold. I mean, it's first of all, we're waiting to see. There's only one study that came out so far in Italy about the hydroxyquinolone. In fact, uh, that's that's waiting to be seen. And um, well, let's let's just hold off of prescribing it, or else we're going to run out too. And you need to have it for the people who have the actual disease. I think people that's part of their panic. That's part of the anxiety that I, it, when I get it, it won't be anything left for me. And I think that's what the fear is happening. But are you hearing anything else out there that they're hopeful about? There, there are several small clinical trials that are happening right now. And again, there's just the ones that you mentioned, the remdesivir is also, you know, there are seeing some results with that. But those are being tested 
just because of the severity and the quickness of the disease. So they're not being test, they're not utilizing that really on humans as much until they're more at the end stage of the, the illness, but they're starting to see some results with that. And there's, there's really no other options at this point. I, I think that's why there's a high level of concern as well different than even the flu because we have the vaccination, we have antivirals that can can support treating the flu. And so there really isn't anything to treat this at the time. But to your, your question about preventative measures, you know, just those the basic healthy things that we do every day and taking our vitamins and, you know, just staying as healthy as you can. And also what I'll mention is if you do have somebody in your household that does have COVID-19, then, you know, practicing those, the social distancing even more. So if you have a separate bedroom, if you can be in a separate bedroom, you know, kind of quarantine that person to a room, avoid using the same dishes and even um, bedding because the, the virus can live on the surfaces. So, you know, because there, there are situations where you're obviously living with somebody that has it. Um, so trying to contain it even within that can be, you know, you can do some measures for that as well. You mentioned surfaces in the virus. Mm -hmm. How long does the virus live outside the body? Yeah, so I think there was something yesterday. It's like, again, coming out new every day. And um, I think it was even like two days or something of that. It was out on social media, like on the surface, whether it's uh, cardboard or or wood or inanimate objects. objects. Mm. Six hours? Yeah. And, you know, that's not uncommon. I mean, there's some bacteria and viruses that can live on these surfaces. That's why environmental cleaning, disinfecting is so important to to be able to do. So, So. So tell us about our cell phones. Oh, yeah. (laughs) How often do people clean our cell phones? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely important. You know, if you have like Clorox wet wipes or, you know, something like that that can wipe them down frequently. So do you disinfect your phone very often? Um, Not as often as I should. So what's recommended? (laughs) What what, as an infection disease control? uh, As often as you can. So just like one of the sanitation wipes every day or several times a day? Yeah, especially right now. Screens, right? I I would just say... um, be conservative, honestly, in these times, because our environmental cleaning agents, even such as bleach and those things are actually, there's a a shortage. So, you know, you know, maybe at least once a day, but yeah, there, there definitely have been studies of, of all sorts of, of <laughs> no microorganisms kidding. on our cell phones. So I can... know there's some, some <laughs> industry leaders that have devices. Now you can, you know, just put your phone into yeah. under UV rate, yeah. you know, re- UV lights and it kills everything. So I don't own anything like that, but <laughs> yeah, you put it all off and that's another great business that, that comes up with that. Mm. Going back to, you know, I want to keep going back to testing because that's because how do you know you have it, right, unless right. you test? And I know more kids are trying to get out there to diagnose it and to do that. But it takes, it, the turnaround time takes a couple of days for some places. Yeah, it just depends on the lab. And I know there are some development of home kits that, that they're in the works. I'm working on a research project right now that's uh, dealing with, like, the drive-through laboratories. But they are working very rapidly in industry to get out the home kits so that we have more of those available. Within some healthcare settings, um, I know the testing time is taking up to seven days. So yeah. it's you know it's a challenge right now. So you still, if that's a patient of mine, you have still have them go home, 
yes. uh, cocoon, sequester themselves till you get the results back and just monitor their symptoms. And then the ones, you know, again, the thing I, I'm always worried about as well, in addition to the sick one, is one of the studies that came out, it was su- published in Science magazine, that said that for every confirmed case, there are most likely another five to 10 people in the community with undetected infection. You're asymptomatic people who, who have the COVID. And, you know, what do you do about them? And then, and you, you know, what eventually happens with the virus? It's, it's really a moving target because we're, we're reporting and observing at the same time as this is going on in real time. Right. And I think that's, that's the thing that we're seeing, that's, that it's moving so quickly that we're trying to prevent further spread. We're trying to avoid getting ourselves killed by it and yet trying to study it and then coming up with vaccines and therapeutic methods to to combat it. Right. And, you know, um, yeah, just continuing that those efforts to to work on that for sure. With that. So what do you tell your clients now that when when they call you and ask for help? Well, <laughs> yeah, so um, I work with the different healthcare settings, and right now the biggest challenge that we're seeing is just the shortage of personal protective equipment, such as your masks and your gowns, and that seems to be there. there is a shortage, and so they're we're trying to come up with innovative ways to, to you know, protect the healthcare workers as well as to prevent the spread within the facilities. Um, and then I'm also, I still have been going into some healthcare settings within the nursing home settings. I wear a mask because the key for these nursing homes is to prevent anybody coming into the building mm-hmm. that can bring it in. Mm-hmm. So all visitors are restricted in the nursing homes. They're testing any, anybody that's coming into the building with the thermometer and then the questionnaire. And then if they're an outside person such as myself who's a consultant, then they're asking, you know, to some, not all, but with my facilities, I'm wearing a, a mask so that I can make sure that I'm protecting my, my patients and, and residents as well. So... And then one thing that I'm, I'm helping them do is really identify their infection prevention and control practices. You know, are they, do they have any gaps that could potentially create more spread of this infection? And then if they do, then we implement immediate action to mitigate the risks of, of any um, infection occurring within their facility. Yeah, because I know I have several patients in nursing homes and they don't take any visitors no. at all. They really control that significantly, which which has been tough. So we've been talking a lot with, with them. We do a lot of FaceTime with them and just making sure they're, they're, um, they're surviving with everything that's going on. Talk, talk a little bit about the masks, because I've seen lots of people, different mm-hmm. types of masks. Are any of those useful? Other than if you've got a cold, <laughs> someone's got a cold, the mask keeps your germs right. from going out, but it doesn't keep the virus from getting you from outside in. Well, so... Again, this rapidly evolving virus continues to change, so we we don't know for certain if if it's airborne, such as tuberculosis. Um, and so originally, we've we've utilized the airborne precautions, such as the N95 mask, the respirators. Um, but the WHO, they've they've stated that regular face masks are okay. And with our shortage of supplies, now we're going to that in the U.S. just where where we can. 
you know, utilize the regular face masks. And, you know, within the regular public, it's the face mask. They're actually the recommendation from CDC is to not wear a face mask out in public just because really for conservation purposes, but also to use them for the, the, the people that are symptomatic. Mm-hmm. Now, up until, I mean, I'm not flying anymore, but up until a few weeks ago when I was, or I guess it was just a week ago, I was on an airplane, I wore a mask. I like to wear a mask actually during influenza season to to protect myself, not only from what may be in the environment, but from me touching my own face Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I realize I'm such a face toucher. Mm -hmm. And so um, there can be different levels of protection, but really it does come from a lot of just more, you know, within yourself. No, I found it fascinating. I was reading about, you know, because they talk about transmission. How does the virus get in? They call it the T-zone. Right. Your eyes, your nose, your lips. And somebody said there was a study that people touch their face 90 times a day. 90 times a day. I'm like, oh, my gosh. But you bring up a point about the mask. It's like, don't touch your face, right? Mm-hmm. Keep, don't touch your face. And, and you, it's just it's learning new skills. I have people who finally admit it. I normally don't wash my hands. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Okay, now you're learning. And it's like 20 seconds or sing happy birthday twice, right? Right. You're teaching right. everybody. You're, you're learning new skills in the face of a pandemic. But at least you're learning now to take on those new habits. And hopefully they'll stay as good habits to protect from future disease, but it's got to get us through this pandemic first. So, well, let's stay tuned on Dr. Connie's house calls for more after this break. We are blessed to have uh, soon-to-be doctor, uh, Buffy Lloyd Krejci with us, who is a infection control expert. So stay tuned, and we'll talk to you after the break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families. Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano, this is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. 
You can like and comment on the Voice America Empowerment Channel Facebook page. This is the place to get and share advice from some of the best leaders on the planet. Get started today by searching for Voice America Empowerment or click the like button under the player today. tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. As we've been discussing in this in this month's session, it's really trying to focus on facts over fear and trying to combat fear with scientific knowledge as much as possible. Uh, Buffy, who is our bug slayer, I, I just love that name, is is really one of the things we talked about was flu. We don't want to be distracted because people are dying from flu as well. You also had studies about H1N1. Do, would you share that with us too? Yes. So, you know, We've been all wrapped up in COVID-19, as we should be, and I've been kind of tooting the horn of influenza just to bring awareness to people that we're still in influenza season. In the last week or two, we are on the decline. What What is not discussed that I hadn't even heard of, I went to the CDC website, and for children, the rates for children zero to four months old and 18 to 49 years are now the highest that the CDC has on record for these age groups that have been hospitalized for H1N1 and even surpassing the 2009 H1N1 pandemic. So the younger population may be like, we're not affected by COVID-19. However, H1N1 is now this year the most that the world the u.s has ever seen has ever been reported for young people any idea why well you know it was during the 2009 h1n1 pandemic that really sparked my interest in infection control and for those of you that remember that it was similar to what we're going through now but there weren't the shutdowns there weren't the self-isolation or the quarantines uh but it was rapidly evolving and moving. And there were um, a lot of hospitalizations. I worked in the intensive care unit at the time. And the thing about a new and emerging virus such as that, it, it was H1N1, the influenza. Well, it's here to stay. H1N1 is now part of our mm-hmm. annual virus. And so it's just a very, it's it's a deadly virus. And it, it does harm in the younger population. And I remember that in mm-hmm. 2009. I remember the concerns for the younger population. So it's just that type of virus. And I think people need to know that there it isn't necessarily going to be COVID-19. We're all our tensions there, but don't right. be you know, lulled into thinking everything's going to come up is going to be COVID-19. As the example, I was sharing with people, my patient in clinic a month, a week ago, who I saw gave him a big hug, came in for blood work, uh, three days, four days later, came in, or actually gave us a call and said he had a fever of 103. And he was 81 years old, had had the high-dose flu shot this past season. And we sent him to the hospital, and he tested positive for influenza A. And so it wasn't COVID-19, it was influenza A. And I, they put him on an antiviral, and I called him up a couple of days later, and he's doing fine. He's recovered from that, which is, a, which is good news. 
but they're everywhere. I mean, the viruses are everywhere. We just have to be vigilant and, and take care of ourselves and, and you know, hopefully get some immunity from this virus. I mean, the, the goal, the per- once the, those who do get infected, they will hopefully get some immunity until we can get a vaccine out to protect most people or an effective antiviral. Right. That's, that's a hope. Well, and also, I, I, want, I don't want to bring more fear into people and being like, oh, my gosh, now they need to worry about H1N1. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to bring that up to scare anybody, just, again, being informative and, and being, having that awareness and, and to make decisions based on knowledge. And so hopefully, though, with the social distancing that's occurring, we'll actually start to see a, a decline in the influenza rates as well, just naturally. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense just because we're, we're doing what we are for COVID-19, that these other infections and other illnesses will start to decrease as well. Because that's the hope, right? Because as they take on these measures, we'll, we'll do a better job with, with infection control. What other advice do you give to people out there as they're, they're waiting at home and, you know, trying to hang in there for another couple of weeks? Well, I definitely, you know, I'm a person of faith and and believe that, you know, not to live in fear and not to live in panic and really to, you know, really take it the day by day as we're doing and and just to know that, you know, the science, we're doing everything we can with science, with the people, you know, trying to find vaccinate, you know, the vaccinations and also the uh, medications to treat, but also just really take care of yourself. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you're elderly, maybe, and, and I hate to say this because I'm about to be a grandma, but maybe you don't, you're not around the little ones for a little while just because they, they, they do, they're like germ factories. So, you know, mm-hmm. and just taking those extra precautions that, um, you know, to protect yourself. And, and I just want to say too, that for those that are, elderly and are isolated more like, you know, let's make sure that we're reaching out to them, that we're communicating with our loved ones and family and friends. And, you know, we're talking to them on the phone or FaceTiming. And so that we, we may be physically isolated, but we don't have to, we can, you know, through social media or other ways that we can still communicate and be in touch with each other. That is a great point. Because even though they say, you know, you're going to social distance, it doesn't mean you're going to wall yourself off from all communications right. because what impacts your immune system? I mean, you obviously have a, we have a virus out there, and if you get infected, what's going to make the difference? Maybe how robust your immune system is, and one of the things that impacts your ability to fight infection is whether you you feel stressed out, mm-hmm. and if you're lonely and fearful. I think all those factors put you make you very vulnerable to have a a poor outcome if you're stressed out and worried about everything. But we don't have to be socially isolated. We we can distance but not isolate. And I think it's a great point that I I get, I actually I get texts every morning from both my sons. Actually I get calls from my sons and then some, a handful of really close friends who say, hey, how are you doing this morning? You doing okay? I'm doing okay. And we just, we do the rounds, we check in on each other. Uh, Several of my friends who have little grandkids, they just FaceTime every day. I say, I want to see the kids. In fact, I'll probably do that later today is is call my son and his wife and see if I can FaceTime my grandchildren so I can take a look at them and just say hi to them. And it's just don't be socially isolating of yourself. And and you bring up a good point. It's 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 a tough time. It's one of the hardest times I've seen as as a physician. I just remember you know fear of disease. I remember when I graduated med school in 81. 
the disease that we were all terrified about was AIDS. And that's where, where Tony Fauci first came to be. That's where we heard Tony Fauci because he was all about, you know, what was, what was this disease that was killing people and it was AIDS. And I remember being in the ICU putting arterial lines in HIV positive people who were dying of opportunistic infections and they had AIDS and being terrified thinking, I'm going to die. I'm going to get blood on me. And, you know, if I, if I touch them, I'm going to get it. And so all that fear because we didn't have all the facts. We, right. It was evolving, just like this virus is evolving about what we know about it. It will evolve as we gain knowledge so we can combat the fear part. But think, that was how many years ago that we thought it was, we thought it was AIDS that was going to get us. And so something else will come up. But part of it is, I think, is the faith that we've got a plan in mind, right? I, I'm going to do the right things. And, and a lot of it is your attitude towards everything. And I always believe that the true test of a human being is how they behave, behave when times are really rough, right? The true test of a human being. And, and I look around and I see people who are really struggling and people in shops and, and healthcare workers. And if you just lend some kindness and patience, it's huge. You see people in hospitals. I see right. my colleagues and they're exhausted. It is a war. It's a war against a virus, an, an unseen enemy. We can't see the virus, but we can see what it does. And if I tell people, just be extra, extra kind to everybody. Be patient. Uh, hopefully, you know, the, the run on toilet paper, you know, and, and that's a sad thing. When it bring, What's the worst that brings out in people when they start hoarding? And I, the article that I saw on March 17 was, relax, companies will have enough toilet paper to sell people. Stop hoarding toilet paper. And I just thought it was ludicrous because this, this doesn't cause diarrhea. So I don't know what they were doing. But I think as you look at, too, what is the impact? of the social distancing and what's happening now. And an article that, that came out also in the Wall Street Journal was an editorial by a CEO of a, a company that does nomadic learning. And he says, coronavirus will permanently change how we work. Because now that people get to sample what it's being what it's like being at home for two weeks working remotely, they may say, I don't really need to go in the office. If I am pr as productive mm. as home, maybe even more productive because I'm empowered to do at work at home than I am at the office, you know, will offices eventually become obsolete? You know, I still need my place where I can examine patients and do that unless I, I go virtually straight to house calls and see patients there. But, but still, it looks at how it changes the structure. For example, for you, I mean, unless you have an office, if you don't need to go to the office and you want to limit your contact physically, you operate from home. Everything's remote. And in fact, this past couple of days, I've been on my cell phone, I've been emailing, and I've been teleconferencing patients. I uh, you know, for instead of actually physically examining them, I can say, oh, go online, you know, let's let's click online and I can see you. And I had a lady with something on her eye and I was able to see that. It's part of the telemedicine. So it changed the way I practice as a physician, definitely, and uh, allowed us to get that social distance while we're in this time of pandemic. Any other thoughts about? Well, I, I can just relate to that. It's been interesting because a lot of my colleagues in public health across the country are now working from remote. And I'm on a research team that has people from all over the country. And today I got to see somebody holding her baby. And, you know, we were all, you know, enjoying the baby. And it just, I don't know, it just brought this different feel to it. And we were just as productive. And we had a great meeting. But, it like, I sure loved having the baby there, <laughs> you know, to be able to enjoy. So, you know, I just, I think we can really, take the good from this that we can. Uh, I'll just quote the WHO 
Director General uh, had said that this is an unprecedented threat, but we also have an unprecedented opportunity and, and really to come together in unity and to support each other and help each other. And, you know, over the course of history, we do that well, you know, and so I, I really know that humanity, I believe in humanity, that we can really come together and help each other and support each other. And we'll get through this. We I think really so. will. We're a strong country. And I think we help other people. I think when we get tested out and tried, I think the good of America comes out, that we will find a solution. We're smart. We're industrious. I always believe that when you have adversity, it creates, it creates opportunities for genius to solve it, to come up with a solution. And you've got lots of smart people out there trying to find the right medicines, trying right. to find the right methods, yep. trying to find the right diagnostic tools to come up for a solution that not only benefits us, but everybody in this world. And I think if we all are part of that, that response, that we bring out the best in each other in a really tough time. And I think, you know, how do you combat fear? You combat it with faith. Right. It really is with faith and with facts. And just, you know, take a deep breath, Hit the pause button briefly, don't do the meltdown, and then go back to the facts and just focus on your appropriate response to solve the problem. So with that, we're going to take another deep breath. And then, and with gratitude, Dr. Buffy, I thank you for being on our show. We're going to make <laughs> sure pleasure. we wash our hands continuously, <laughs> that we don't touch our faces, that we social distance, but we don't socially isolate ourselves, Correct. and that we continue to keep moving on. There's a reason we're all going to be here for a while. So... And I hope all of you, I wish you all well and stay calm. And we will speak with you next month on Dr. Connie's House Calls. God bless you all. Thank you again for joining us this week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. We'll be back next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our